This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like, sort of understated or what. This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Yes, good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, 3 Triple R's weekly optimistic nihilism fun time happy hour. Bushy's my name, I'm partly here. Hello Adam Grubb, you're completely here. I am. I just have not acknowledged or admired, you have some new arm art. I have a new tattoo, well I have the commencement of a new tattoo, yes. Yes, it's looking uh, very impressive. It's been some years in the making, yeah, it's the Blues Brothers. Yes, flex those guns. I didn't roll my sleeve up the flex guns. I showed it. I'm going to show off the amazing tattoo work of uh, one Owen Williams, aka Otats, uh, friend of the station, long-term listener, and a ripper tattooist. And he's down there in Gertrude Street, tattoo magic. He doesn't need me to promote him. Like he's known all over the world. I was going to buy one of those, you know, pull-on ones just to freak you uh, those out. Lycra tattoo. Says hi, yeah. Jed McCartney. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Just to go, look, mate. I got mine quicker than yours. Nah. Nah, I'd rub it and I'd, the jig would be up straight away. <laughs> um, we've got a ripper guest in the studio. This, we, we, we'll, she'll just cut directly to it without further ado. Uh, Alanta Coley is a public health practitioner, comedian and co-founder of the SciFight Science Comedy Debate, which is held at the Spotted Mallard. She, she's performed for the Gates Foundation. She's performed at Adelaide Science Exchange. She's a regular political political asylum and at the laboratory there is so many plays on words in this introduction so many i'm getting lost you're pretty good with the puns and the play on words by day she teaches engineering students about international development by night she tells jokes about bees to confused crowds and she's going to be doing that soon tell us about the show alanta coley welcome thank you thank you for having me it's great to be here mm. let's keep plugging the show right great. throughout because we're just going to have a sort of bit of a free form night <laughs> nice. and a bit of a chat but what's your show all right, it's, uh, it's called Days of Our Hives, uh, which is about me and my bees. Been keeping bees for a few years. Beekeeper, uh, bee loser as well. I've lost the bees on multiple occasions. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's sort of the story of uh, living in Northcote uh, with 50,000 stinging insects in your backyard and mm-hmm. uh, how you go about placating neighbours and uh, relocating bees as they disappear and all of the fun and adventures that go along with that. Strikes me. Like, I, I know a few people who are beekeepers and, and they're, I mean, they're generally quite funny people or whatever they are, but um, people seem quite sort of earnest when it comes to beekeeping stuff. It's quite serious game. But you've... You're look- saying there's a... Like, there's a... There's like <laughs> correlation. correlation between, no, no, just when it comes between to bees. Like beekeepers and humour. If you start talking about you get, bees, yeah. it always goes serious. Oh, yes, bees, are, they're in real trouble. And, mm. da, 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 and they are. Like, yeah. I'm not going to shirk that. Oh, right. 
but you've found all the jokes. Oh, God, so many bee puns. Uh, I've been talking about doing this show for about a year and people just, just bee puns left, right and centre. I sort of have an anaphylactic like, reaction now <laughs> to bee puns. It's like, so you've been a busy bee... No, go away, just leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, unfortunate, really, given my line of work. But, um, yeah, no, no, I think there's a lot... You've got to have a sense of humour. Um, I'm looking at Adam, who's also a beekeeper. Yep. Um, to uh, be dealing with stinging insects, would you, would you agree? There's something about the sting. I don't know if it encourages humour, but it, it's like this. It's it's a little metered dose of pain, mm-hmm. and it hurts. It mm-hmm. can it can sting <laughs> like fuck. But after about thirty seconds, it's peaked in pain, and then for, it's going to start the the relief. Uh, kicks in, Grounds and you. you need, you know, it's it's the you, you need contrast in life, mm-hmm. and uh, a little bit of pain every once in a while, and and it, and it's so it's you could it's a metrical unit of pain a bee sting, <laughs> and and you and it's. You, you can just have it; it's gone, and then everything else is more alive. Mm, it's it's true. getting hot in here. Listen, Adam, talk about it. it's like this. Sounds like the kind of service that you sort of enter down a laneway and pay by the hour. Like, yeah, yeah. If anybody wants it, uh, yeah. you know where to find me. I mean, I, I don't go looking for it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but but yeah, I get, I get bees in the backyard. But I'm not a keeper. I'm just a um, how would I call it? Rent seeker. Yeah. A, 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 Oh, because you've got people looking Landlord, after them for yeah, you. Yeah, ah, people yeah. looking after so they're them. But have you been I've, stung by them? Yeah, but I've missed all that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I re- once you're up to about 14 stings in a day, oh, gosh. then it starts to wear a bit thin. Surely by that oh. point you're like, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> Something's not going, <laughs> going yes. according I should to never have catered myself in maple syrup. <laughs> this is a dud gift. <laughs> So, what's your record for stings in a day, Atlanta? I I'm pretty I'm pretty sting averse, so I really dress up. I've got the full uh, onesie, the whole yeah, one. Nice. Um, the worst stings was when we split the hive, and we actually moved about twenty thousand of them over to Preston, and they didn't have a queen. Mm. And bees without a queen get pretty irate pretty quickly. And we yeah. opened. Normally, bees if you're not messing around with them too much, they're not that fast, but. These ones were angry <laughs> and confused, and we opened the hive in Preston, and they. Did you have a smoker? We yeah, we did. Didn't mm-hmm. didn't help. They went at us, and one like a couple got into my suit and stung me on the throat. And they're just oh. they they're good. They know where they know where your soft spots are, and yeah. they, <laughs> they go for them. I, um, I like that they. Um when the keepers are there, they'll yep. chase the keepers mm-hmm. and leave me alone. So <laughs> I, I can be talking to them. They're in their white suit and they'll, they'll lift, you know, the lid, take the hat off. Yeah. And the bees will just, and I'm standing right beside them. They leave me alone. They go, yeah, we know it wasn't you. It was that one in the white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the one that they can played smell with you. our hive. They so are. they got a vengeance kind of setting. Oh, they're just, you know, you've messed with their house. They're upset yeah. and um, you're still standing there. And, and they, they follow, know it was you. yeah, they follow pheromones as well. So yeah. they they got quite good sense of smell, I guess, for want of a better word. So mm. they and where you smell strong, that's where they go for as well. So they're big on armpits and crutches. Yeah, and crutches. And they, um, <laughs> they don't like mammals, mammals. right? So I've been yeah, told that, that wearing uh, hairy, dark mm. woolen jumpers is bad because you're Look much like more a like a bear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shit! And yep. if you're um, a breastfeeding mother, mm. they don't like you either. Huh. This is as we found. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Wow. When, when Mel remember. was feeding Charlie, like, yeah. <laughs> when anywhere near him, they're like all over her. Wow. Jesus, Louise. So, well, well, let's take this back a bit then. So how did you get into bees? How did you come to be the... Well, you're, you say you're a bee loser because they kept running off. Yeah, yeah, bee loser. Um, menace to the beekeeping society. Um, I, I learned a few years ago, uh, woofing, have you heard of woofing? Yeah. Willing workers on organic farms. So I was backpacking around uh, Europe and found uh, an apiary in the Czech Republic and they were actually doing varroa mite research on, right. on this, um, this particular organic farm and they had just Russian, they had like 50 hives of Russian bees which there's all those different species of bees and Russian bees are hard working and aggressive. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> so I learned quickly, um, I learned a lot of things about them uh, quite quickly and there's, they actually had bees that would go into kamikaze mode uh, when you were harvesting which meant mm. there was nothing you could do to switch off the attack mechanism. They were going to, they were going to follow you until they stung you. So, mm. um, um, the beekeeper would actually get in his car and, and drive away, and, like drive home, and the bees would follow the car, and he'd, no. he'd get to the ve- he'd get home, get out of the vehicle, and, and they're just, hanging for him. Yeah, have to go into like hand to hand combat with each bee, and and the bee didn't win. So God, yeah, wow. it's pretty incredible. Um, normally bees aren't like that. Normally they're like, you've you've kind of left, you've got away from my hive. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. I'm going to defer this to later. That's crazy. I, I, my old boss, he said that in like the late seventies and the early eighties, like there was this huge rift in Melbourne between like skater surfer types and, and skinheads and stuff. And what you're describing there sounds like that kind of, you know, that territory for like gang Russian warfare. Bees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, sorry, I'll just let's touch on that varroa mite research for a bit because this is yeah. this is one of the reasons that, that a lot of bee people, when you start chatting to them, it becomes quite dour and serious. Quite serious, yeah. It is quite dour and serious. So talk yeah. to us about your research time there. Yeah, I should do more actually. I don't know heaps about it other than uh, it's one of the key causes of colony collapse, mm. um, which is this thing we're seeing on most continents. Australia is still free of feral mite um, and we're one of the largest exporters of, of hives because, because we have feral mite free hives we export millions of hives every year to other places um and it's a really sad story actually because the hives get taken overseas and then infected mm. with varroa mite um, but they they attack the larvae so they they get in and they attack the larvae um adam probably knows more than i do actually about varroa mite but i think they do something to the the mental development of the bees as well really yeah i didn't know that that's yeah. that's sinister i could be wrong with that yeah. I, don't, I don't want you guys to get call in when when you're doing science shows you don't get um you don't get heckles so much as corrections <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> citation please <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> Um, I have quite a few beekeepers coming to my show, so I should probably get get all my facts. Yeah, straight. well, this is like a practice run. You can yeah. sort of swat up on where we. <laughs> how, so many, what, how many calls did you What was involved in that research operation? Then? What were you doing? Like data and collection uh, and stuff. What? That well, I was leaving the research to them. I was more the the dog's buddy, melting down wax, um, getting in, harvesting honey, just doing the sort of day to day beekeeping stuff, mm. which is a really great experience. And I, I think I learnt stuff like. I was in a big barn and melting uh, a honeycomb down to wax and the barn just filled with bees, like absolutely just... They from the st- smell of it. From the smell because yeah. they, they love the smell of it. And you learn... One of the things that you can't just read in a book about bees is you start to learn to distinguish the different sounds that bees are making because mm. there's an angry bee sound and there's a happy bee sound mm. and they're not the same. Sometimes <laughs> I think I can smell when they're angry. 
Yeah, you can. Um, yeah. They produce a, oh, God, I used to know the name of the pheromone. but It smells a bit like ants or something. Ants. Some people say it's banana. And uh-huh. when you smoke the hive, that's actually blocking the sense. So they're communicating by releasing pheromones at each other. Ah. Um, so when they sting you, one will release pheromone to be like, hey, guys, over here. And they'll mm. all try to sting exactly the same spot on you, which is a very effective yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a work in progress in terms of evolution because, like, when they sting you, they, they tear their guts out and they're cooked. They do, yeah. So I kind of feel like the idea that that releases a pheromone to activate all the others to come and sting, Yeah, I reckon they'll work that out. Like, yeah. you, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of like your appendix. They, but they're, they're yeah. very um, yeah. community-minded, aren't they? They are. So that thing about, you know, well, if I die... So long as I get the pheromone out, there'll be more and the community yeah. will survive. Well, well like each individual yeah. bee is an evolutionary dead end because it mm-hmm. yeah, does not true. have the ability to reproduce. Yeah. So evolution doesn't give a fuck yeah. really about that bee, I That's guess. So it does about the yeah. colony. Hence yeah. the gut-wrenching yeah. stings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm. what I mean. Like it, it's all about the... The, the colony and the the community and uh, mm. yeah everything. I mean, even, you know, the way um, they treat the drones. I can remember the, yeah. probably the first winter we had them and there's all <laughs> these big bees walking around on the, these, the back These deck. are the males. The males, yeah. And and I said to the keepers, well, what's going on? Why are these bees all walking around? They said, oh, they're the males. They kick them out because they're useless. You know, we yep. don't, they're not breeding through winter. Mm-hmm. And all they're doing is consuming honey, so out. Yeah. On your bike, pal. You know. Yeah, it's a bit like a, your immune system. So, if, I mean, if you've got a pathogen, you've got uh, cells in your body, white blood cells that go and sacrifice themselves mm-hmm. to, to kill, to absorb and kill the pathogen. It's it's more, yeah, I think that's how a hive works generally, mm. sacrificing individual B cells for the whole whole community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard, like, uh, people talk about it's the colony that's the organism. Yeah. And... I've heard them described as an honorary mammal because they maintain a body temperature in the yeah. middle, in the mm. mid thirties. Yeah, yeah. And which is the temperature that the brood like to be at. Mm. And they reproduce only occasionally, like a mammal, and they produce uh, like a, a milky substance to pro- well, yeah, the yeah, royal jelly for the for the kids. Yeah, yeah. So there's some parallels. So many. That's interesting. And it's interesting to talk about it, like, you know, to compare the white blood cells to the bees. And, and I guess when you look at the way the natural world is, sort of orders itself and sets that, you do see lots and lots of repeating patterns. I mean, mm. maybe our interpretation in the last three or 500 years or whatever, you know, Enlightenment mm. era, maybe there's a heap of things that we've interpreted based on what we saw at the time. But maybe it's like Adam's saying is like an actual swarm of bees mm. behaves en masse more like a mammal. So maybe we need to sort of reconsider our I, I concept of an organism. I, I love the way they um, work as a community and e- even down, and you guys probably know better than me, that, you know, when they do decide to move, they send the scouts out and mm. they all come back and they do a little dance and say we should go this way and they disagree, they headbutt until they all agree and then <laughs> then they go, right, we've agreed and boom, off they go yeah. together. They yeah. have a collective intelligence. Yeah. 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 Which is bizarre and we've got this sort of concept of the queen being at the top but the more I read about the queen, she's completely controlled by the hive. She's yeah, the yeah. 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 The wor- uh, workers are in control. Yeah. She's at their beck and call. Yeah. Yeah. I read the other day, and I don't know if it's true, it was on a blog, um, that before they swarm, the workers actually starve the queen because she's huge. She's almost, wow. she's like two and a half times the size of the worker bees. Mm. Jesus. She's not very good at flying. So they actually star- <laughs> they starve her. So she's going to be better at flying and lighter before they actually leave when they swarm. 
just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. How does how does nature know how to do that? I mean, I, I guess there's just all those implicit. Our, our neighbours have bees as well. I remember one weekend they all went out and they had a, a banana tree, and the whole well, it seemed like the whole lot <laughs> all went up into the tree, and of course they they have the same rooftop honeybees, and um, they. Um, so they rang them and said, well, what do we do? They said, oh, we'll come and have a look. And by the time the keepers got They'd there, moved. they just went back into the hive. So something happened. They, they think the, oh. there was a disturbance with Never the queen. And so they all came out Interesting. For, for like half a day and then That's so they weird. Went back. Maybe mm. they – that's very strange that happens. I mean, normally when they swarm, that means there's two queens and yeah. they cannot be in the same space. So – uh, Adam might know more about this than me, but you basically can't reintroduce that that swarm unless you. I, mean, I imagine never if heard you, of it happening. Yeah, oh, well, unless I you kill the have, queen, and then maybe yeah. you could do well, it. Well, maybe that's what the keepers did. I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's what they did was the the queen that was in the hive. Yeah. Maybe they chuffed her off so that yeah. the other lot could come back. So there's a method to that, though, isn't there? So what's the, have you ever had to? Uh, I've never killed the queen. You've done it, Adam. I have, yeah. You you were talking about how, um, like, when when they sting you, they release that um, hormone Sorry, which yeah. makes them angry. I've also found that the more bees that you you kill, mm. the more that hormone, you know, the yeah. more you're going to get stung, the more angry they are. So yeah, there's a real. Sure. I used it's to always do it with, <laughs> without protection, and it would make me be really careful about yeah. about killing them. And uh, what was that? This, this is how you got the 14 stings in one day. Yeah, yeah. I used to be pretty loose. I, I suit up mostly now. <laughs> but, yeah, once I was I – because there are occasions when you want to kill, yeah. kill your queen when you're introducing new ones. And we could talk about that at, um, later in the show. But, yeah, once I had the idea, I was like, oh, it takes you ages to find the queen. Because even though you said she's twice the size, she can be pretty hard She'll to spot. She'll be covered in bees. If you've got a big hive, yeah, yeah. like if it's, you know, 50,000 plus, then they're covering her. You're not going to know. Wow. I haven't seen my queen in two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even bother looking for mine. I just look yeah. for the evidence that she's been there, yeah. that there's eggs. That's it, um, yeah. And, but anyway, one day I was like I, I had, had to kill her. It would take me, you know, an hour to find her and then um, – I was like, I, they were really. I'd already been stung a few times, and I pick, picked her off the frame. And I was like, oh, how am I going to kill it? Because if you kill an ordinary bee, they get angry. Yeah. What's going to happen when I kill the queen? Surely they're just going to, you know, go crazy and, and sting the hell out of me. Yep. I was like, okay, I got this. I'm oh. going to just reach over into the into the soil and dig a little hole. <laughs> and I just, I didn't even look. I just like squeezed her, dropped her in the hole, and just buried it. And I was like, that was so clever. Of course, what I didn't consider was that my hand was now covered in the smell of a dead queen. And as I bring it back towards the hive, about five or six bees just sting me. And I've, I've, got, I've still in my left hand, I've still got a, a frame that's completely covered in bees. You can't just like drop, drop it and run. run. I have. You just have, to, you just have to grit your teeth, slowly put things back together as the stings continue. And... Uh, yeah, so do you think nice. those things through? <laughs> nice. And some people keep the the queen body because it, oh. they use that as a lure if you're setting up a bait hive or yes. something. Um, and I'm still learning about this as well, but bees want to be in a place where there has been a swarm before that's mm. been sort of earmarked as a potential hive yep. location. So some people take their dead queens and then soak them and make this sort of like... Queen broth and then queen broth <laughs> spread that around their, their bait hive. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's gruesome. Uh, it's just, just kind of awful. <laughs> nice. And you are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. So you, sometimes when you go to see comedy or any sort of live show, being in the front row, you know, might be a brutal spot. What's what could a front row seat at your place? I mean, you're going to like get people up and sting them with bees or make, put, them, put them in the. There's there's a swarm under each seat. You know, there's yes. just <laughs> reach under the seat. Is it free honey? <laughs> I should I should bring some honey. There should be some sort of prize. Yeah, merch honey. Yeah. Yeah, not big on audience interaction generally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got an audience coming. <laughs> I do. Well, yep, that's that's the intention. Hopefully they come. Um, yeah, I don't know what – it's funny too because so many people fear audience interaction. They're absolutely terrified of it. Um, I think generally if you get picked on, you know – the comedian's still in charge. They just want you to give mm. the most obvious answer so they can move on to the bit that they pre-planned. So yeah, nice. It's all good. Nice. So we were chatting a little bit before about how you got into bees, but we're just going to dive right back because um, we haven't sort of talked much about bees for ages and ages. Um, but they're an interesting critter and they're a unique critter and they go back a bit. I'm going to hand the stage to you two because you seem to know the most about it. But Well, there's been a couple of inferences that I might know things. I keep bees, but I'm not very well educated. But you know but you know a bit about the evolution. I mean, flowering plants. So it's that yeah. whole the chicken or the egg question. So was it oh, bees yeah. or flowering plants? What's the... Uh, oh, I watched a watched a Edinburgh documentary that uh, Attenborough, not Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different. A little bit different. Uh, one's a city, one's a man. Um, yeah, angiosperms. There was this, which are all flowering plants. Mm. Um, there was a few of them around, and then I think as bees, it was a sort of co-evolution. But there's this period, and I can't tell you which period, but they just took over. They just yeah. suddenly exploded um, in terms of evolutionary diversity and developed all of these incredible tricks and and um, mechanisms for attracting insects so they could mm. achieve this cross-pollination We're thing. not talking that long ago, are we? I can't remember when, but it's tens of millions of years, not hundreds of millions. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, suddenly massive, massive, yeah, yeah, explosion, which I love about evolution. I love that it's like... Incremental, incremental, and then something just suddenly <laughs> happens. It's just like wee. So is this yeah. kind of since that uh, you know that fabled, f- fabulous sixty-five million year ago point? Where I had the big disruption, the f- fall of the dinosaurs, the rise of the rise of the mammals. Is this about the time that the flowering plants and the bees and every, or, or do they predate that a bit and they just happen to survive that? I, I could give you an answer, but I'd be making it up, so I've got no idea. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Happy to go with alternative <laughs> facts from time to time. Yeah. It's good that like our own. I don't know if it's worth going, but our, you know, for like there could have been the way our evolution went that um, our sex practices involved an intermediary, where a you tree. Had, where you had to attract yeah a certain type of insect to mm. to your nether regions. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have to do oh that because gosh. of the comet that obliterated everything. That's such a great idea! Wow, what if we did that? Okay. <laughs> This is taking some directions we didn't imagine. <laughs> but it's fascinating. It'd be rather impersonal though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. It'd be very... It'd just be like, hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Off you go. That's kind of 
what happens in the sea, which I think is an incredibly inefficient process where the male of the species just releases yeah, yeah, yeah. spores or sperms or whatever and just goes and some might stick. Good luck. Yeah, it's not efficient. It's not an efficient process. You'd wonder, though, wouldn't you, what happened to your offspring? Yeah. But yeah. there seems to be... There's like, so I was actually listening to a podcast recently, I can't even think which one it was, so they got talking about bees and they... Like more and more information is coming to us like at a rocketing pace all the time. But you were talking before about the pheromones, like, you know, a bee leaves a pheromone on a flower that it's already been to, but then like the flower draws the bee in with a pheromone Mm. that it's – and I think that – does that scent change? Once a bee's visited a flower, does its scent change to say, oh, I've been tapped? Well, that's next up, (laughs) so to speak. So to speak. But then there's this other thing, this podcast I was saying that there's like an electromagnetic – Frequency, like everything has an electromagnetic frequency of some description, but um, some flowers and plants have. Color is an electromagnetic frequency. Yeah, yeah. So that's a thing. And the theory that uh, was in this chat was that perhaps because we've sent like electromagnetic waves all over the planet and almost enveloped Uh, it with Wi Fi and Bluetooth and this and this, is that one of the things that's messing with bees? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think. I don't think they understand very much. I mean, all of the knowledge around bees' navigation is incredibly... It's its fairly new. Um, mm. They've only... I don't know when, but in the history of science, just figuring out that the waggle dance, that the angle at which they're dancing across the comb is indicating the angle uh, from the sun in, in which the direction and <sighs> and the figure of eight they dance, the middle bit, the length that they take in the figure of eight in the middle indicates the distance. <gasps> well, it sort of, but not actually distance. It's an indicating the degree of bee energy required to get to the flower. Huh. So, so if it's into the wind, yeah. it'll be a longer dance. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So it might be 6K or it might be 10K, but the conditions, if it's a headwind, they'll dance for even so, longer. So bees don't watch the other bees dance, right? It's It must be, you know... It's a little bit more uh, crunking or something than that. They got to be right <laughs> yeah. up against it to figure. Do they? Because you can. They, they, so to back up a step, yeah. they communicate to each other and dance. Yeah, yeah. And that involves, I think, I think they, physically touching. They do. There is physical touch in the sense that when the bee enters the hive, like I have to tell a whole bunch of people, and the worker bee gets attention by going around and vibrating her abdomen on the other bees. I'm like, come to the dance floor. I've got uh-huh, some, uh-huh. got some shit to show you. Oh yeah. Uh, and then I think now we just have a party. Has a party on the dance floor. So. I, yeah, that's a good question because it's pretty dark in the hive. I don't, I don't know what bee uh, vision is like, actually. Yeah, inside the are hive. They, are they watching? Can, how many bees can feel the dance It's like mood? no lights, no light, right? It's yeah, like, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had this problem with this show. Um, I had a bunch of comedian friends and comedy writers watch my first run-through on Sunday night and they're like, mm-hmm. we just don't know when you're telling a joke and when you're telling a B fact because <laughs> B facts are just so insane yeah. and they've all got names like the dance floor and the queen and all these because it's all metaphorical anyway. They just they thought I was making up half the facts yeah. and they thought half the jokes were facts. So <laughs> uh, interesting from a science communication perspective. But so you've got to clear that up. Even when you break, like, let's break it down, what is honey? What is honey? Like because that... that it, like you give us a factual answer in just a moment, but the factual answer is gross enough that it sounds like a joke a kid made up, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? Because honey is in fact... Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I was going to include this in the show and didn't get to it, but um, it's essentially regurgitated 
liquid made from nectar and pollen. It's vomit. It's, yeah, yeah effectively. Bee vomit. Yeah, mm. well, some people say it's not technically vomit. It's, it's not technically vomit. Yeah. Yeah. It's they not did technically poo either, but you need it. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like honey sales would, would drop, yeah. drop if people knew how honey was made. <laughs> not necessarily, because there was that coffee bean a few years oh, ago yeah. that had gone yeah. through a cat. Civet yeah. cat. Civet yeah. cat. Yeah. And that was fetching, like, <laughs> outrageous. Like, it was $30 for a cup, wasn't it? It's true. So maybe that's, maybe that's how you bring the bee back. Like, you make it a bit more gross and exotic <laughs> and all of a sudden instead of people just taking it for granted they're like did you hear that that insect that we rely upon and we eat its shit that's going so we've got to fix that and the the monsanto bay emerges halted like all the wi-fi is cancelled like i'm painting a pretty dour picture for people who love to look up bees on the internet who will no longer be able to look them up on the internet because the electromagnetic frequencies are all pulled out but mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and um, it's not just vomited by one bee, but I think multiple bees get involved in <coughs> swallowing and then regurgitating the same same bit of honey. The same bit of honey. Yeah, right. I didn't realize that. that yeah, mouth to mouth kind of action. Yeah, and yeah, something like okay. that. Okay, that that probably um, spreads it so that it's um, colonial, or it's, you know, like the whole colony's had a bit in it. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you've got something, mm. and then you know you regurgitate <laughs> it again, it, it sort of counters it, so it becomes. Um, common, Every, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, everyone's got that same disease now. So it's like a regurgitating vaccination schedule yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. getting out. Yeah. Good lordy. So I've got another question. I'm, I'm asking all of the maybe obvious but seemingly dumb questions tonight. I don't know the answer to half them, so they're not that obvious. No, but here's so bees. Okay, so one of the things that uh, beekeepers do is, I mean, they move bees around. So Jed's bees, you know, yeah. in his backyard, um, and it's a big thing, like it's a big industry, like in taking beehives around to different, yeah. you know, farms, like as they're flowering. So you've got massive amounts of, you know, beehives in trucks getting taken to an apple orchard just in time for pollination and this and this, and they move around. Yeah. And so how does that, so how does that affect the bees that are getting moved around? But more so, like, so when you're bringing those bees into an area yeah. where there maybe is already an established... Because, like, you hear about... Like, you watch those, like, old movies, like, on the waterfront with Marlon Brando. Yeah. Like, you know, like, gang cartels, crime <laughs> cartels, they're, like, really particular, like, you don't cross over Fifth Street. Like, yeah. that's ours. <laughs> so how do bees go with that? Because... That's, I don't know. I'm super fascinated how they... Because uh, they navigate to and from their hive based on... A, a vague understanding of the geography. Mm. I don't know how they they establish that again and again and yeah, again when they move yeah. those mm. giant like 150 hives on the back of a truck. Mm. Deal, it's phenomenal. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm going to throw it at I don't the, think they're territorial once they're outside of the the, the hive. hive. That's right. the box. Yeah, they will not accept um, strangers inside though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, They've got bee bouncers on the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the look of your friend. <laughs> I love the way they fly. It, mm. Our hive, um, as you know, sits in sort of underneath the fig tree, so they come out the onto the veranda and then they go up in this spiral quite slowly. Amazing. And as soon as they're in clear air, they just ping. Like yeah. they accelerate from mm. like zero to out of sight in a millisecond. Mm. And when you see them, yeah. they're not aerodynamic. No. Yeah, that was a, a myth for a very long time. It's in that ter- horrendous fictional thing called B movie that the someone had done the maths on Bumblebee and they're like, it's scientifically impossible yeah. that the yeah. bee can fly. I was like, it's not because it is. So therefore, yeah. Yeah. do your calcs again. But they can't. Yeah, all right. They fly like I dance, though. I mean, it's not graceful. <laughs> not always. I mean, it's controlled to a point, but it doesn't. It's not good to the observer. It's probably fun for yeah. the participant. <laughs> <I don't>, potentially. <laughs> 
I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muckraking, compost-loving, cud-chewing, soil-building, water-cleaning vanguard of Urban Hillbilly Radio, greening the apocalypse on Radio 102.7, Free Triple R. And uh, it'd be remiss of us to discuss bees um, and their unusual social structures and their scents and all that sort of stuff, and not discuss the uh, the the bee intercourse, the, the yeah. reproductive yeah. habits of bees, because it's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> Let's go there. Bit strange. All yeah. right. Okay. So uh, what's fascinating is the there's all of it. Um, <clears throat> but specifically, the queen somehow knows where all the drones are hanging out. So these drone congregation areas uh, are where male bees hang out from uh, all sorts of different hives. And they're usually about 400 metres above the ground. 400 metres? Yeah. Right. And they're, they're there for years. Like they're historic. Just humming about in the air. Just hanging out on the hope that a queen's going to come and visit. So like just different bees from different colonies will just go to these same yeah. places. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's a very big question as to how does she, how does the queen avoid having sex with drones from her hive? Yeah, I which would be her own offspring. Yeah. Well, would be the queen prior to her because she, oh, yeah. before she has sex, she doesn't lay. So there'd be siblings. There'd be siblings. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, okay, so she she goes there and she yeah. flies around really fast, and uh, she only has sex with about one in a thousand of the drones. But um, <laughs> it's so great. So so they chase. So and that many drones there. I yeah. actually had no idea about this. Yeah, it's huge. So, so, so at this stage, she's flying fast. She hasn't re- put on weight yet. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor queens. <laughs> Tough life. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So once they go to have sex, they grab on with all six of the little legs, and they while still in the air. While still in the air, and there's not not an enormous amount of footage of this particular activity, and I can It'd be hard see to why. capture on yeah. any camera. <laughs> I, I was looking for for some photos, and I couldn't find any. And my friend was just like, "Well, rule thirty four of the internet has failed us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> cannot find porn on just anything." Um, <clears throat> so yeah, they they grab it with the six legs, uh, and they clench their abdomen and insert their penis, and then. The orgasm is so powerful that it can actually be heard by the human ear. It's that loud. Wow. Boom. Yeah. Uh, and it explodes uh, his penis and he flies into a backflip and falls to his death, which is the most dramatic sex that you'll ever come across. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of animals evolved that out too. I'm starting to really second-guess bees. <laughs> you know, like I'm actually looking at them going, yeah, maybe... Got some work to do. Yeah, well, maybe it's not like pesticides and all those other things that are wiped. Maybe it's just like a steadfast this, refusal to get better. This is almost the ultimate feminist sort of thing, isn't it? Potentially, you know, you know, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I bet it's... So, so they sting, rip their guts out, die. Yep. They procreate, Willie explodes, they die. Yeah. Um, and if they so, if they don't die, come winter, they get kicked out of the hive and you know, starve hive. on the mount, essentially. <laughs> wow. And mm. a bee's life is really shit. So when yeah. once they've had sex, yep. how many eggs will she lay from that? 
So she lays episode. for like two or three years and she can lay up to 2,000 eggs a day, so millions and millions. All from that one. She'll have sex with maybe five or six drones and yep. she'll fill up her spermatheca, which is this like mm. chasm in the middle of her body. Good Scrabble word. And yeah, and then uh, yeah, she self-fertilises the eggs from that point on. Which is amazing. So, so she only, and I didn't understand this, but she only leaves the hive essentially once yeah. to, to mate yep. and she gets everything she needs and goes back goes and back. then she'll spend it. So that explains why she would get bigger and bigger. Like, I mean, she's just naturally growing, I guess. Well, she's yeah. she's that big because she has, she has to develop. Uh, so the queen's on a diet of royal jelly and she's got ovaries and the spermatheca. So she needs that space in her body for that that additional, uh, yeah, functionality, I guess, mm. which the other bees don't have. Mm. Did you know that worker bees can lay can lay eggs as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. in a desperate circumstances. Yeah, to yeah. Make, and that'll be normally to make... Well, if the queen is gone yeah. and uh, it's, what normally happens if the queen dies is there'll be some eggs there and they can change the diet. Yeah, yeah. But if she... Um, and that can turn an ordinary worker cell into a queen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yep. But I guess the circumstance you're talking about is where there's no eggs and no queen. Yeah. So yeah. there's still a da- desperate last Desperate. Effort. I think they just want to increase numbers. And they're clones. They're technically clones ah. when they're laying them. So okay. if they yeah, feed yeah. any they larvae to... royal jelly and continue to feed it royal jelly, it'll turn into a queen. Huh. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, I take it all back. They're pretty rad. Yeah. 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 So when you, so you've gotten into this, Orlando, over the years, and it, you um, you also have like a background in uh, in science or in engineering, but you also just to you know bring it home with a bit about yourself. You're also a, a co-founder of the Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. I am. So you've cut your comedy teeth on many a thing, but yeah. um, very highbrow. <laughs> I think science and bees and <laughs> science and bees and, and comedy and yeah I don't know it's a, it's a nice space I think I just found that it's a beautiful I think the I don't know the fun places in life are at the intersections between stuff and yeah. intersections between science and comedy is a lot of fun to be had and um, people don't mind learning while they laugh I think generally mm. and mm. there's also an enormous amount of Great material in science. Yeah, seemingly. <laughs> so, so, what goes down at a sci-fi science comedy debate? Like, what? What? Give us like a topic that you would debate at such a night. Yeah. Ah, we uh, we try cover all the different areas. So we uh, we did seeing is believing, which was a good sort of psychology. How do you prove anything is real outside of your own head? Um, yeah, how do you prove anything in science? That was a good good psychology topic. We've had humans are as good as it gets, which is now coming out in this conversation about bees. Uh, are we more evolved than animals that fly at 400 metres in the air and have sex and die? Good question. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe not. not. <laughs> uh, what else have we debated? Um, so what, are the, what science fields get debated? I mean, so you just talk about psychology there and, and maybe... Evolution, you, evolution. Was, yeah, we had love as a chemical, so we got into the sort of neurochemistry a bit mm. there. And, yeah, free will ain't free is the next one that's coming up, which instead of going into do we make decisions or are decisions made in our brain before we yeah, even yeah. know that it's happened. So who, who's on the – there's scientists that are debating this and yeah. you just say be funny. 
Yeah. Or how, do, how does it work? What turns it into comedy? <laughs> we take uh, we take a dash of scientists and we take uh-huh. some uh, comedians and we we mix them up, mix put them, them up, on shake both them up sides. Together. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, and they're not a group that necessarily always meet. And um, yeah. I got to say, it's it's just fun. It's a nice fun contrast. Uh-huh. And the scientists are very nervous often, and they put an enormous amount of work in, and they often come out funnier than the comedians. On the oh. I probably shouldn't say that, but it's a, it's a great mix. This has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.